Greetings, Little Warriors, and welcome to the latest edition of the Little Wars FM podcast. In this episode, Little Wars goes back to school as we talk with a teacher who takes wargaming into his classroom and wants to help others do the same. Hello again, this is Little Wars TV Steve, and my guest today is Jared Fishman. Jared's a history teacher at the Hackley School, a private college preparatory school in Terrytown, New York. Thanks for joining me, Jared. Thanks so much, Steve. Uh, I really appreciate it, and frankly, I really appreciate what uh, Little Wars TV has been doing for wargaming and gaming in general. So it's a real honor to uh, you know sit down and, and have a conversation with you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've been pretty happy with the way that the channel has developed. And uh, as you may have seen over the last few weeks when we're, we're taping this, Greg has been uh, doing a series on how we can potentially get more people interested in wargaming. And I actually think your program at, at Hackley and some other things that we'll talk about today is, is a big part of how we as a hobby can move the ball forward in the future. But before we get into all of that, uh, I'd kind of like to to just have you talk a little bit about your history with wargaming. You know, how did you become a wargamer? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's uh, in a lot of ways, like it's a huge credit to my dad. Um, so I was born in 81. And from a very, very, very young age, I can remember, like, I mean, we're talking like mid 80s, you know, when I was just getting into school, I can remember my dad painting Napoleonic miniatures. And I was always sort of fascinated by it. And, you know, sure enough, you know, by the time we got to the early, early 90s. I think the first gaming con I went to was in 90 or 91, some, somewhere around that that time period. Um, I really just started getting into the hobby pretty pretty hardcore. Um, you know, my dad and I would, would game together. Um, and, you know, once or twice a year, we would go to cons. And, you know, I really have been doing it ever since. So, I mean, for, for a period of time when I was in college, my other big passion is music. So when I kind of got into music in the early 2000s, um, I kind of took a break from gaming for probably about four or five years. But once I started teaching um, in particular, that that's really when I kind of got back into it and really haven't stopped since then. Yeah, it's interesting when when we talk to people and certainly some of the people in the club, some of the folks that folks have seen on Little Wars TV, certainly my own story, there always does seem to be that gap. You know, we're, we're gamers, you know, of a, of a certain to a certain extent when we're younger, then we kind of go off to college. And for me, it went even a little bit longer than that, you know, as I got married, got started in my career, but ultimately came back to it. That's a that's a very common pattern that we've seen amongst gamers. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot. It takes a lot of energy, especially if you get deep into it. Um, so it's not surprising to me that for a lot of people, whether it's, you know, you're just starting your family or you're going to college or you just started a big job. Um, I, I think for a lot of those reasons, you know, it can be hard to game and do those things at the same time. Um, it just so happens that for my career, you know, gaming and teaching kind of go hand in hand, which I'm sure we'll kind of get to as, as time goes on in this in this conversation. So it, it sounds like, though, that you didn't start out like a lot of people do as kind of a sci-fi or fantasy wargamer and make the transition to historical wargaming. Sounds like you were historical from the start. Yeah, so it's kind of a, it's an interesting little little uh, little sort of history here. So um, here's the thing, like where I grew up. So I grew up in Westchester County, New York. Um, I grew up in a, a town called West Harrison. Back in those days, even for sci-fi gaming, you know, it, it's kind of a gaming desert. And in a lot of ways, it still is. Like, I know a few people that do historical wargaming around here, but it really is kind of far and few between. Um, and unless you're going into the city um, or unless you're driving to Connecticut or driving south, you know, then you really start to find, um, 
you know, really big game clubs. And don't get me wrong, like I know there's some big groups in Manhattan and Brooklyn, but like if you're talking about getting in a car or getting on a train with all your stuff, if you're going to be running a game, it can be really challenging, you know? So for me, yes, like my dad and I started historical wargaming, but interestingly, when we both were trying to branch out a little bit more, we actually went and started playing games like Warhammer. And even to this day, you know, my father, you know, just turned 70 uh, last year. I mean, he still plays Warhammer. And mostly because of the fact that you can find way more players. You know, there are far more game clubs that are kind of focused on, um, you know, Warhammer and Warhammer Fantasy and all of those games, you know, compared to, you know, historical gaming like we do, you know, so... Yeah, and there's there's no question that one of the biggest things that we uh, we find, whether it's looking at the comments on our videos or the emails that we get, uh, is people desperately wanting to find other historical wargamers. I think there are a lot of historical wargaming deserts out there, and uh, you know it's it's hard to think of a, of a way that we as a as a hobby can help that. We've tried a little bit for for those who aren't a member of uh, our Patreon group. And, and if you aren't, you should be. But if you are, we have access to our patron-only Discord channel, and we've kind of set up a, an opponent finder there and uh, uh, editable Google map where you can place where you are on the map. And I think that's helping people to hook up. But that's, you know, really small potatoes to the thousands of people that we know are out there looking for opponents, but just don't have a good way to find them. Yeah, it's tricky, you know, but look, you know, you, I think you guys at, at Little Wars TV need to take a little bit more credit because the fact is, is look, you know, if you're getting 30,000 hits and I think that's what it was like your, your, um, recent, um, video on, you know, historical wargaming and the kind of future of it. Um, I mean, if you're talking about get, getting 30,000 hits, I mean, that is a really big step in the right direction. And I think one of the things you guys do really well is you expose people to this to this hobby, which again, it's so fascinating. If you think about where we are in 2020, if you think about where gaming is, and even just even gaming related genres, like if you look at what's most popular on HBO and what's most popular on you know uh, streaming services, it's all stuff in this vein. It's just so much easier to like go into a comic book store with your family when you're young and see Warhammer figures. And while I think a lot of stores are starting to get into things like Bolt Action and Flames of War and, and things like that, there's just it almost feels like a more obvious sort of draw, a more obvious in for things that are more sci-fi fantasy. So in my opinion, it's not that historical war games are less interesting or anything like that. It's just how do we get people more interested in, for example, refighting a Napoleonic battle um, compared with, you know, space marines versus tyranids on on some, you know, war-stricken world? Like, how do you sort of bridge that gap? I think is a big question moving forward for us, like in terms of, you know, historical games and things like that. Oh, I agree. And that's that's a big part of the reason why we started up Little Wars TV. But it's also a big part of the reason why we're fascinated by what you have done and what you're doing at, at Hackley. So let's let's start to get into that. But before we get into the details, why don't you kind of explain to folks what Hackley is and the kind of environment where you're doing what it is you're doing? Absolutely. So, um, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I think for a lot of people that don't uh, have a lot of information about what independent schools are. I kind of was one of those people, you know, so I can very distinctly remember, you know, again, it was sort of like the mid 2000s was right around 2007. And I, I was sort of at a crossroads where I 
was very, very, very close to getting my doctorate in, um, in history. And when I sort of decided that I did, I wasn't sure that was the, the right road for me. Cause I had been teaching at the university level for a little while. Um, you know, I, I, I get this random email from the department head of Hackley. And I, I kind of asked my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, I mentioned the word Hackley and I had no idea what it was. And she was like, you need to go on that interview. So I can just describe like my first experience there. You know, it, it's like a college campus, you know, I mean, I showed up and I walked around and when I met the students, um, it was like, it was basically like university level thinking for young people. So, I mean, I think that's probably for your listeners. I mean, I think that's the, the best way to start, you know, now I've been, I've been at Hackley for a long time since so I've been here since 2007. So when we're talking about independent schools, you know, um, it, these are, these are private schools where, you know, the, the kids are paying tuition to come here. They have to take sort of tests and things like that in order to get in. And I think, um, independent schools once sort of had a stigma of being, you know, only for people that had wealth, only, you know, uh, people that had money and frankly, like, you know, upper, upper class white people. And I think that as time has gone on since I've been here, what I really love about this place is that we're, we're really pushing forward. We're becoming far more diverse. Um, it, we're thinking a lot more about the whole student as opposed to just, you know, bringing in students that are academically strong. Now it's more about, well, not just academics, but what about our theater kids? You know, what about our music students? What about our athletes? So as, as time has gone on, um, there have been a lot of really great leaders here that are really pushing the school, you know, into, in, into the new decade, I guess you could say. The academic programs are very, very strong. You know, teachers have a lot of leeway in terms of how they design their courses. And it's just really nice being surrounded by a, a very, very open-minded group of people, students included. So I, I like it here quite a bit. Um, and yeah, like I, I brought gaming here um, pretty much like the year that I got here. It's interesting because you talk about what most people think about independent schools. And I was, was one of those people. Uh, you know, I actually, I personally went to high school up in New England, uh, in Massachusetts, uh, to a public school. Uh, my father was in, in the military. I was an army brat and I went to public schools, but, you know, just a town or two over in virtually every direction, there were independent schools. You know, we call them prep schools uh, like most people do. And, uh, and always had that kind of view of them. Okay, that's where all the rich kids go. And you know, the interesting thing is now, all these many years later, uh, my daughter, who's been on a, a number of the Little Wars TV episodes, and you know, lent her, we'll say, interesting vocal performance to our Patreon pitch video. Is now at a New England uh, independent school playing hockey and and doing great. And and yeah, my my whole impression of what these schools are like changed in many different ways. It is a tremendous academic environment, uh, like what you described with Hackley. They're very interested in getting a, a very broad and diverse array of students there. And I can say it is absolutely like a college campus. And it really is an interesting option out there that I think not many people know about. Sure, for sure. I totally understand that. I mean, look, I was in the same boat uh, before I came here. Like I said, you know, my wife had to tell me what this place was. Because again, I, 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 I never, um, when I was growing up, we never, as a family, were in a situation where um, we could have everything we wanted, but at the same time, there was always food on the table, you know? So going from a very modest 
um, life growing up and going to public school and then coming here, um, it was a little bit of a shock to the sensory. It's frankly, sometimes it still is, you know, the way that, you know, I grew up is just very different than a lot of people here, but that doesn't make me bad. And it doesn't make them bad. You know, it's just, it's actually, again, like kind of what we're striving for at a school like this is to take people that may have very different backgrounds and bring them together, you know, bring them together under, under one banner and learn from each other and grow with one another and make the school better. And I think that because of our push for diversity here at the school, I think that's one of the reasons why it's becoming um, a very comfortable place, um, you know, to be. And one of the ways that you're bringing all of those diverse students together is apparently historical wargaming. So why don't why don't we get to the the meat of this and and talk about okay, you know, tell us how you introduced historical wargaming there at Hackley, uh, when that was, how you did it, and where it's headed now. Sure. So it's kind of a long story, and you know, I. I when I knew I was going to be talking to you, Steve, um, I found that trying to sort of remember how this all started, it's almost like talking about a best friend, like where, um, it can be kind of hard to pin down like, Oh, when did I, when did that person become my best friend? You know? And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling or experience, you know? So thinking back to 2007, so we didn't really start gaming until the year after. So when I got here in 2007, it was basically because Hackley needed somebody at the last minute. So I came in and I, I taught two classes and it was just one of those things where it just worked out, you know, and the very next year, it just all fell into place where, um, the person I was primarily teaching middle school at the time I was teaching sixth grade and the sixth grade Dean at the time, who was also my mentor and still is my mentor. I mean, when, when you boil it, when it boils down, um, he decided that he didn't want to be Dean anymore. So he was Dean of the sixth grade. And I saw that as an option. I was like, look, you know, I have, you know, experience and I kind of put my name in the hat and I, I became Dean. So I went from just being part-time to then Deaning and teaching pretty much all the sixth graders. And that's really where gaming starts. So I'm teaching the, you know, the year. So this is 2008. And we have a program at Hackley called the ASK program, which is after school knowledge. That's what that's what it stands for. And basically it's for clubs, you know, like for different teachers who have different passions. And, um, you know, they, you know, the person who was running at the time sent an email around saying, Hey, look, you know, if any of you have something that you would love to bring to Hackley, um, I'm, you know, we're all ears. So I was like, all right, you know what, I'll, I'll give this a shot. So I, I made a pitch for a little game club. Uh, it was called um, Strategy Games, you know, because I didn't exactly want to court, call it miniature wargaming because I still didn't, still didn't exactly have the best lay of the land yet. Um, you know, I didn't want to necessarily come off as some kind of warmonger or anything like that, you know. So, you know, I think we had maybe the first year, I think maybe we had four or five kids and it just sort of took off. You know, we had started that year by playing mostly sci-fi stuff, you know, like uh, Warhammer and stuff like that. And I saw how academically minded the kids were. Um, and I just sort of was like, you know what? Like I, at the time, had a very small gaming collection of my own. And I think I had brought in some American Civil War figures and they just loved it. You know, like, and, and again, I have to credit the people I work with more than I have to credit myself because for me as a gamer, I never thought about the, the, the benefits beyond just having fun when it comes to playing a game. It was everybody else that sort of no, started noticing like, oh my God, this is great because you have kids from all these different backgrounds and they're all having fun and they're all rolling the dice, but they're also talking about themselves and talking about each other. 
For new kids, it was great because it was a great way to kind of integrate into the school. Like I'm a brand new kid in sixth grade and I, would, I don't have any friends yet. I don't know anybody. Let me sit around the gaming table and all of a sudden I'm starting to, you know, become friends with all these other students I never thought I would be friends with, you know? So it kind of, it, that's really how the ball started, started to get rolling. And just as time went on, it developed from a little thing that we would do maybe once or twice a week for, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes a day. And then sure enough, as time went on, by the time we got to like 2010 was the first time a kid said, we don't have enough time to finish. What are you doing on Saturday? And that's when I was like, wow. And I said, all right, well, do you guys want to come in for four or five hours on a Saturday and play? And that's really when the club really started taking off, where now we started to, you know, hold games on weekends, like, you know, like once a month, um, sometimes once every two months. And then it, it just kept growing and growing and growing. And we're at the point where I would argue, you know, just thinking off the top of my head, We've had hundreds of kids in the club. I would argue that anybody that leaves Hackley knows what miniature gaming is. Um, and it's not really because of me, per se. It's just because it's part of what we do here now. And again, it's really, it's really a, a, you know, a great thing. And that's the tip of the iceberg. You know, I mean, I could go on. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Hackley, it, unlike my daughter's school, uh, is not a seven-day-a-week you know, boarding school, Correct. Correct. We have we have a small boarding program, but it is not like a big boarding school like an Exeter or like a school like that. So, I mean, for a lot of these kids, then when they're saying, you know, can we do this on Saturday? They're talking about coming into school at a time when they wouldn't necessarily normally be at school. Right. Correct. Right. So that that says, I think, a lot about, you know, how enthused that they were about it. And how how many students does Hackley have overall? About 800 you know, K through 12. So every grade in the middle school has about 60 students. Um, and in the upper school, it's more than that, you know, over a hundred students. So that's a significant number of kids every, every year, whether they're in the club or not, who, the way you describe it, have been exposed to miniature gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other thing about Hackley, which I, I give them, like I said, I, I don't think I'm an important person. Like I, you know, I, I think, some of the things that we do is obviously is important, but it's really Hackley. Like Hackley started recognizing, um, you know, the benefits of all this. So to the point where I would actually argue that in terms of going beyond just miniature wargaming, I mean, the idea of gamification in the classroom, the idea of game design theory and all of that, we do that, you know, here at Hackley. Most history teachers run simulations in their classes. So instead of talking at the kids endlessly, you know, we put them into simulations, we put them into games where they've got to take what they're learning and then apply it. So I, for example, teach a seminar for upper school students uh, called Topics in the History of Warfare, in which we use, you know, uh, gaming um, to kind of facilitate learning. And then I teach another course with an English, a really good English teacher named Mike Canarino, which is more not really necessarily about miniature gaming, but role playing and looking at history and looking at um, books and literature and film and almost looking at it through the lens of the idea of role-playing, like D&D. So I think that Hackley is definitely cutting edge when it comes to all of this. And, you know, you do a quick Google search. I mean, a lot of schools are really starting to, to get into this. And I would say that I'm very proud to say that really Hackley is one of the first independent schools to do this. So I have to give them 
as much credit as anybody would say that I deserve. This is one of those times where I'm like, geez, I, I wish I could go back in time and go to a school like this. Well, for sure. Look, I mean, I, I was almost going to bring it up before, you know, it was hard being a miniature war gamer growing up because I was like an alien, you know, like, and I learned at a really young age, like how this is not a thing that people do or a lot of people do. Like I can re- remember as clear as day being in fourth grade talking about the first gaming con I went to and people just looking at me like I had 18 heads. And one of the things I'm most proud of is, you know, if you guys ever get a chance to come by, um, you know, we're talking about kids who one could argue are popular. I mean, like athletes, you know, student athletes that play football, you know, in the afternoon and then are talking about, you know, the Napoleonic game that they're going to play next weekend. And that has always made me feel good that I feel almost like, we're destigmatizing gaming. And it do, it also helps that, you know, for example, you know, would who would have ever thought that um the stories of HP Lovecraft would be the biggest show, you know, on on television right now on HBO, you know? I don't know if I would have said that that would be possible 30 years ago or to watch Hollywood stars, you know, rolling dice, playing D&D and being filmed doing it. I mean, the world is just changing a lot, you know, and it makes me happy to know that people like you guys, Little Wars TV and people like us here at school are kind of, you know, part of that change, which is great. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're we're kind of in the in the golden age of geekiness, right? You know, I when I I was a geek when I was in high school and paid the price for it. Now it's it's cool to be a geek. And you know, that coincides I think and is is a big part of why I think we're in the golden age of gaming, not just historical miniature war gaming, but miniature war gaming, uh any type of board gaming really. I think we're we're in a golden age and we're we're fortunate to be here. And I guess, you know, yes, I wish I could be going to, to a school like Hackley. Uh, at this point on some level, but I also do like the fact that while we're in the golden age of gaming, I actually have money to buy things. Uh, that's, that's very nice. Sure. Well, the internet helps too. I think the internet, um, you know, has done wonders, you know, for, for gaming, because again, even in the early nineties, even the mid nineties, you know, before the internet was something that everybody was using constantly, you know, I can remember going to gaming cons and the biggest draw is like, I can actually buy things and I can go and meet other people that do this. Whereas now it's a little bit easier, um, you know, to, to meet people that are gamers, to buy things online. Um, so the internet definitely has had uh, a big part, but then again, you know, there's always, you know, there's always two, you know, two sides to every story, you know, different sides of the coin is that, um, you know, I wonder sometimes, you know, how much our gaming, you know, companies making when they even go to these cons anymore, you know, I will really wonder like how much of it is online sales. So I wonder if there's a connection between that and like some of the declining, you know, uh, participation in gaming cons that we see, you know, happening now. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent question. And uh, something that probably talk with someone else about, they would have harder, harder numbers on that. But turn, turning back to, to what you're doing at Hackley, you talked about the, um, implementation and integration of war games in in some of your classes how does that work i mean just just give us an idea of how you integrate those games into your classes great question i will say this you know i don't do a ton of miniature gaming in my everyday um like major classes where i find that i can do it most effectively is in what's called our minors here. So at Hackley, there's majors and minors. The minors are classes where, you know, of our seven day rotation or seven cycle days, minors meet on three of them. So I can use my topics in the history of warfare 
uh, class as a good example of how I would do it. So, you know, of the three days or three cycle days that we would meet, what I do, especially now in the time of COVID, it's actually easier. I'm actually looking, I'm, you know, I'm doing this podcast in my home. I have a gaming table set up right in my home. And what I've been doing in, you know, during this pandemic is I've got a gaming table set up here and it's gridded. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the game, Bloody Big Battles by Chris Pringle. You guys played that? Uh, I don't think we've played it at the club, but I've certainly heard of it. Yes. Got to give a big shout to Chris and all the other people involved in the game, because in my opinion, it's one of the best games that you can use with students because the mechanics are simple, but the theory and the strategy and tactics are just massive. Like you really have to think when you're playing that game. And uh, what I did was I took those rules and I turned them into a, uh, a grid system. So instead of, you know, moving X amount of inches on the board, I turned the board into a grid of these, you know, two inch squares. And what I do is I take my uh, laptop, which has a really good camera on it, and you elevate the you know, laptop, you push the screen down so that you get the camera over the board, and then we play over Zoom. So we're learning right now in class about um, warfare in the age of reason, you know, really focusing on like Frederick the Great. And we're playing a game from the same era, it, you know, virtually. And what we do is we take a look at what's happening in the game. And then we pair it up and draw parallels to what we're learning. So, for example, we played our first game uh, on Thursday and the kids immediately saw they immediately saw what we had been talking about when we discussed how troops move. How do they fire? What are the most advantageous positions to be on a battlefield? You know, so for my military history class, the gaming is great because it brings conflict to life so that they can better understand it. Now, the other way that I uh, bring games into the classroom, the, actually the more mainstream way that I do it is by running simulations that don't necessarily have to do with miniatures, but it's still gaming. So for example, in our role-playing class, um, you know, where we are playing a game with the kids designing characters in a fictional world, and all of the issues that they're running into are issues that are happening right now. So it kind of generates discussion. And similarly, in my uh, my more sort of mainstream major classes, you know, using simulations. So, for example, what's more fun, being talked at for an hour about who the Medici were in Renaissance Italy? Or is it more fun to have the kids design characters that were in the Medici family and put them into a political situation and see what happens? Uh, that sounds fantastic. I mean, one of my hobby horses that I, I like to get on and whip to death is the disservice that I think a lot of teachers, history teachers have done to the teaching of history over the years where it's just, okay, you're going to come in, you're going to sit down, I'm going to lecture at you and tell you some dates and you have to memorize them and pass a test. And that makes history horribly boring. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it, it ends up, it, seems, you know, and I haven't looked at numbers lately, but it tends to be one of the least favorite classes for kids. And yet, as you know, there are so many stories uh, from any period of time, virtually any piece of exciting fiction, you know, pop culture that kids fall in love with, I can think of a historical parallel that actually happened. Absolutely. And, you know, what you're, what you're describing is, is exactly the type of thing that I think could get kids more excited about history. And I think the more excited that they are about history, 
you know, kids love games. So why not combine the two like you're doing? For sure. I mean, look, you know, uh, I, I, I very much agree with you, you know, about how you can take a history classroom and ruin it. You know, um, I can understand, you know, being a teacher, you know, I've been a teacher since 2004. So a, a big portion of my life, you know, and again, you know, pre-internet, I, I think for a lot of teachers, you know, when, when, when teachers are thinking about the kinds of skills that they want kids to learn, I think memorization, you know, was a really big, big deal, you know, back in the day. And at this point, it's like, you could find any piece of information you want, whenever you want, you know, literally, you know, we all have devices in our classes. So this, this idea of memorization, I mean, it's, it's great to remember things, but what I find is, is, is most important is a, um, engaging them with story because that's what history is, right? It's a story. It's a story of people and the things that have happened to us as human beings. So this idea of, you know, giving the kids the story of what we're talking about and then, uh, you know, asking them to kind of participate in it, you know, in a lot of ways. And I find that getting kids to apply knowledge as opposed to just memorizing every date in the world, um, getting them to apply their knowledge really starts to bring things to life. So anytime in the classroom, you know, that I find that I'm talking too much, um, a lot of times I notice it and I kind of stop because it's easy. Like, I love this stuff. I love talking about history. So, I mean, I could lecture all day, but it's not that interesting and they don't find it that interesting. So I think finding lots of creative ways to build skills and to build enthusiasm into the subject. Um, and then look, you know, when they get to college, they can, you know, be ready for the, you know, ready for the lectures, at which point, you know, maybe they will have the sort of skill set in the interest where they would, they would find it interesting, you know? Sure. And, and I, I think, you know, when you put this all together, you know, what you're talking about, not just learning the history, but then also the stuff you were talking about earlier about, you know, social interaction and crossing boundaries between what might be separate, uh, you know, cliques, for lack of a better term. You're, you're not just teaching the history. You're not just exposing them to historical wargaming. You're also better preparing them for when they do go off to college or if this were a college situation for when they get into real life where, you know, you have to deal with lots of people. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because I find that having kids historically wargame, I mean, obviously there's, um, you know, some merits to just on a surface level, you know, having two armies fight it out. Like, I mean, obviously if you want to build a little bit of understanding when it comes to what it must've been like to be a person that had to participate in Pickett's charge or what it was like to be a person, you know, that got out of a landing craft or, you know, what about all of the women that were working in the factories, you know, pumping out all of the sort of, you know, weapons and supplies that were serving, you know, soldiers on the front. There's obvious value there, but I find the older that I've gotten and the more that I've done this. It's all of the byproducts of playing a miniature war game that I think are most attractive to administrators, most attractive to teachers, and also most attractive to the students. Because, And again, this is one of those things that it took me a long time to realize because I had been playing games for fun for so long that I didn't always think about this. But you know, if you really think about the mathematical skills, the leadership skills, the the idea of learning how to almost follow, right? Like if if you're playing a small command in the game and somebody else is the CNC or something along those lines, all of those sort of skills, learning how to work with other people, learning how to be in conflict with somebody else and then come to some sort of resolution, all of those skills are what I found have really been built in my in my gaming kids. And again, I'm not surprised that at least at my school, 
I find that it's really the critical thinkers. It's the kids that think about things in a deep way. I find it's mostly those kids who want to join the club because if you think about how many decisions we make in a good game, and I don't mean like, um, you know, there are some bad rule sets out there that there's not a ton of thought process that goes into it. But if you're playing a good game, you know, and I can think of, of lots of them, you know, where you're constantly making decisions, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't like that? You know? So I found that those are huge benefits to this hobby. And when I do speaking gigs, you know, at schools and um, at other conferences and things like that, that's usually what I highlight about why, if you were a school, why you would want this to be happening in your in your hallways. Absolutely. And, I, you know, speaking from my own experience with my daughter, I can say also it can really take someone and maybe start them on a different trajectory as far as what they want to do with their life. Now, you know, and, and they, I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that because, you know, my daughter, before she went away to the independent school up in New England, she was at a, a small uh, private school here in central Pennsylvania as well. And one of the things they do every year is they have a seminar week where for one week they don't have their normal classes. Uh, the administration, the teachers decide on a subject that is going to expose them to, to some aspect of life. They've done, you know, legal based stuff in the past. They've done, you know, movie making stuff in the past. And what they did last year, and they called me in to see if I wanted to assist, and I certainly did, was they were going to divide all the students up to be represent various countries and kind of recreate the Congress of Vienna. The capstone to that at the end of the week was going to actually be the return of Napoleon as he did during the, the Congress of Vienna and the Hundred Days campaign. And that's where, where I got involved. And that's actually why I had the Napoleon costume that showed up in my uh, <laughs> I in, our, in our Patreon video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, my, my daughter kind of with, with her nation uh, ended up in somewhat of a leadership role uh, and took part in some of the kind of little practice games that they were uh, they were running leading up to the surprise 100 day thing uh, at the end of the week. And then when I showed up as Napoleon and said, OK, we're now going to have it was very simplified, but war game and every nation should send three representatives to participate in the war game. She was one of the three representatives for her country. And you know, it was a great experience for all the kids involved. It's the most kids I've ever tried to to manage in any type of educational or wargaming setting. But, you know, she and, and so many of the other kids who were involved in that game had such a great time. They were asking me all about the hobby. But then also I noticed in parenting my daughter that you know, her, her kind of the things that she was interested in trying in the future shifted, not so much historical wargaming. I mean, she knows that I do it and she's appeared on the channel, obviously, but it's really not something she's interested in doing a lot of. Hockey is number one for her. But she's like, you know, I really enjoyed the diplomacy. I really enjoyed the kind of leadership role I was given, even though she was an eighth grader and there were everything up to 12th graders who were participating. And she's like, so I'm, I think I'm going to try the model UN and, and, you know, being a leader and being a diplomat just re seems really interesting to me. And that's something she had never expressed interest in before participating in that program. And I think that's another aspect of all of this that maybe people don't realize on the surface. It may not turn someone on to historical wargaming, but it may dramatically alter the way that they view the future trajectory of their life. I can't agree more. I, I, you know, I, I mean, even for me personally, 
I mean, my the whole reason I'm a teacher is because of gaming, like especially war gaming. I mean, I can distinctly remember um, being at a, a convention in the early, early, early 90s and walking around, you know, uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting. I was always one of the few kids, you know, which was a little weird. I mean, part of the reason I think I matured the way that I did is because I was always around adults, you know, with my dad and with, with, with players and things like that. And I can remember just being on my own, being a little kid walking around and, and seeing a trench board, a modular trench board, you know, from World War One, and just being so fascinated and I remember thinking like, why would people dig those holes in the ground, you know? And just that one question put me on my trajectory from where I'm at now, you know? Um, so I agree with you. I very much agree that uh, games are, they can be very, very, very powerful. And if you have the right people running them, there's even more value. Where if if you sit down, you know, with a group of people and you're planning a game and you say, okay, what do I want my kids to get out of this? Or, you know, you could argue like my players, it doesn't have to be kids, even if, you know, you're running something at a, at a gaming con somewhere and the people, they don't want to just sit down and have a beer and roll some dice, you know, they really want to get something out of it, you know? So I think that that does take some skill and it, it takes some time to learn how to develop. Sure. So just, just kind of logistically, uh, when you're running one of these games in your uh, warfare class, how many, how many students do you have? How many are playing the game? So the way that the way we're doing it this year um, is I have a class of 12 students. So what I did, um, I can go in, into a, a little bit of detail here. So we are, I don't, of all the collections I have, I've, I've grown my collection, but I don't have anything from, you know, that, that could represent seven years war armies. I do have a nice American War of Independence collection. So I'm running the Battle of Camden right now. Um you know, from 1780, um, you know, the sort of infamous battle. And I have to tell you, you know, the student, really amazing student named Ava Lattimore, uh, she's Horatio Gates, and she did a little research on him. And she's like, oh, my God, like, why did you make me this person? You know, because this infamous battle where, you know, he did not do particularly well and ran away at the end. Um, but, I, you know, of those 12 students, um, what I did was uh, the both armies are divided into three commands. Uh, the American army is bigger, so they're more like divisional commands. And then the British are in brigade commands. And I have two students paired up to run each command. So what's great about that is they have somebody to talk to. So, for example, you know, if you and I were paired up playing you know, the American advance guard, you know, we can talk to each other about, okay, well, you know, what's going on, you know, where do we want to move to? And it works pretty well, but I will say, you know, it does take time to learn how to, you know, you know, manage, you know, that amount of players in the games that we run in the club that are more on weekends, man, we've had games that were just massive. Um, what every year for the last three or four years, we've done what we call mega battles for the older kids. And we'll have 20 or 30 players easily. And we'll have HMGS members come in as well. Um, and the HMGS guys love it because kids are great gamers. Like, and, and this is not to knock um, more veteran players. And it really isn't. But look, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where, you know, you, you, you sit down with a bunch of grizzled vets, you lay the table out, you know, you've spent hours thinking about this game one thing doesn't go well on one side and all of a sudden it just comes, you know, becomes a complaint fest about the rules or the scenario. Um, and you don't finish the game. I don't know about you, but I've had many experiences like that. And I can tell you 
that we don't have that experience here. These kids are great players. They they care about winning and losing, and they're competitive, but they they get into it, you know. And a lot of HM, HMGS guys that have come here are kind of like at the end of the game, you know, they'll they'll poke me, be like, "When can I come back?" Just because of how much fun we have. No, I was just gonna say, I, I you know can say certainly that the energy is completely different when you're in that situation. Uh, I have certainly had those miserable, you know. Uh, game uh experiences with the the old grizzled grognards uh fortunately there haven't been many of them and fortunately when i get into games at conventions and stuff like that and certainly when we're gaming at the club i mean we all get along at the club but uh at conventions a vast majority of the games i've been in are great but even so you know helping to run that game at my daughter's school and and the times that you know i've had younger people around the table when i'm gming it's a totally different energy and it actually you know it, it is very exciting Yes. And what I found over the years, um, I found with kids, um, they'll, they'll want to do more. So every year there's usually two or three kids that become almost like assistant GMs. So they will often know the rules better than me, uh, because I'm getting, you know, barrage questions left and right. And there's always something I'm going to forget. So having those kids, um, is really, really, really helpful. And, you know, we run a summer program here for gaming and there's always a kid who will come on and really take on a big leadership role. And then, you know, again, like as we've sort of talked about, you know, before in, in some of our other, you know, Q and a, um, those skills, those leadership skills carry on with them to school, you know, when they go to college, um, and they come back and they tell me how rewarding it's been doing all of this gaming and being such a, you know, a help on game days. Um, and it just translates so well into, uh, almost like real life, I guess you could call it that. Absolutely. And I mean, you and I actually first met at, uh, historic on 2019. Uh, it's last year for, for us as we talk now, but who knows when people listen to this and you are actually running a game with one of your students at historic on last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was. Yeah. So, um, last in 2019, I started taking kids to game cons, uh, maybe four or five years ago. Um, I have to give a huge shout to, to John Spies, who's the current, um, president of HMGS East. You know, he's a really visionary guy and forward thinker, and he's always encouraged me, um, to do more and more and more with HMGS and to bring kids. So to make a long story short, you know, gaming is popular enough where, um, what ends up happening is there's always a senior that's in the game club that wants to do their senior project on gaming. So we've had the last I think three years, we've had somebody that has wanted to, you know, take the last month of their school, school time here, you know, so the month of May, and what they have to do is they either get an internship, or they help a teacher with something. Um, they do something beyond themselves, something that's going to help others. So Dylan Shavitz was a great guy. Um, you know, he's in his first year of college, you know, last year, uh, he was really interested in the Franco-Prussian War, um, and he was really interested in the evolution of technology at that time. So uh, we painted some miniatures together. He read a whole bunch of books and a whole bunch of uh, rule sets about the period, and he did his whole presentation on like all these scenario designs that he was going to do for me, for me to run with the kids in the future. And he liked it so much that we were like, you know what? Why don't we? Why don't we put this into practice? You know. And we ran a game, you know, the two of us ran a game, you know, I have to say he did, he, he's a much better GM than I, it's a big joke that I always have, um, 
you know, my kids are, they tend to, are, they're more patient than me. Let's just say it that way. Um, I'm a little bit of a, of a, of a hothead in a lot of ways, um, passionate person. So, so Dylan, um, you know, uh, he ran his game. I helped him. And then we did a whole talk, you know, with um, the HMGS audience. I think we had maybe 40 or 50 people in the room. And he was talking about his experiences gaming and his experiences here at Hackley doing it, you know. And he still games now, which is awesome. Yeah, it is. And and I had a chance to to meet Dylan last year as well. And, and certainly a very impressive young man. Watched him GMing part of the game. And, and he's like built like a linebacker, too. It's yeah, like, you know, it's player, a, yeah. <laughs> it's a, you know, football player, like you were talking about earlier, you know, that it, it crosses all boundaries. And, you know, you have a, a football player who's just graduated from high school, who's done research on the Franco-Prussian War, is running a game and giving seminars there at Historicon. It's like, talk about a Renaissance man. <laughs> no, for sure. Absolutely. Look, his whole crew, you know, um, without getting into too many details, I mean, his crew, uh, they're really special people. Um, and really important to me because when I made my transition from middle school, uh, you know, to the upper school, um, you know, teaching, you know, the older students and I developed that topics in the history of warfare class, you know, they were the first group that took it. So they're really into gaming, the nicest kids in the world. And yeah, you know, it, it's, it's for me, I always tell my students, like, I, I feel so old, like just watching kids today have so many varied interests and it being okay is, I don't think it'll ever get old on me. You know, I'm um, just watching it sort of happen. So you can, you can have a kid like Dylan Chavitz who, you know, is the, is the football player, is the super athlete, and then is rolling dice, you know, nerding out with me about like, you know, differences in tactics between France and Prussia in 1870. You know, it's just very strange, um, strange in a great way. Yeah. Real quick before we turn to the next topic, which I think is very important. Uh, I'm curious, is there any particular uh, era of history that seems to be most popular year after year for your students to game? Ah, that is a great question. No one's ever asked me that. <laughs> um, well, I will, I will say this. World War II has never been a, a time period that I've been particularly interested in. Like, you know, obviously I've studied the period and I have a big collection that actually, and this is another great thing about our community, um, we've got a lot of donations over the years. So David Cochran, who is uh, a wonderful person, um, he actually donated a huge World War II collection to us, uh, Old Flames of War stuff. The kids love that. They really do. They love bolt action as well which um, I almost feel like I can't like because it's so popular, but it's a great game. And I think that it is it, right. I, you guys play it, correct? Uh, we don't play a lot of it because I mean, there are certainly some members of the club who aren't fond of it. Every yeah. time I've played it, I've had fun. Uh, and that's what I look for in a game. I like it because of the decision-making. See, I don't look at it as a traditional gamer. I look at it as, oh, wow, these kids, every time one of those dice are coming out of the bag, they are going to have to figure out who's going to go and what's the most important thing to happen in that moment, which is why I love it. And the kids are uber into it. Um, you know, so it's a lot of World War II. They love um, World War I as well. Now, you know, I wonder if that's my bias because that by far is the time period that I'm most interested in. Like if I would have got my doctorate, I would have continued doing scholarly work on World War I. Um, so I, I have World War I figures in like four different scales, all for different things. And that's pretty popular. They love ancient games and medieval games. And I would also argue too that 
it does sync up with what they're studying in their classes. So it's not surprising to me that like when kids are in seventh grade, they're always asking me about Mongols because Asian history is a big part of that curriculum. Um, when kids are in the upper school and they're learning about the 20th century, inevitably, inevitably I get questions about playing World War One or World War II or Spanish, you know, Civil War, things like that. So it's really, really, really varied. I think that's um, a good way to leave it. That certainly kind of tracks with how I am now, even. It's like if I read a book about a particular era in history that I haven't gamed before or don't have figures for, my my first thought is I'm hitting interesting battles and stuff like that. Man, I'd like to game that. It's a a natural inclination. But uh, but now, you know, you've mentioned HMGS, Historical Miniature Gaming Society, a number of times and the help that they provided up at Hackley. And you've mentioned uh, John Spies. uh, I agree with you. Great guy uh, and uh, some great ideas. But uh, HMGS, along with you, are, are looking at putting together a new program, right? Yes, we are. Well, well, tell us, tell us about that. I'm, right, I'm anxious to hear the details because I don't even know that much about it. Yeah, but. yeah, it's pretty under the radar, Steve, for the moment, just because uh, you know everything got approved over the summer. Um, so I guess, yeah. So why don't we, why don't we back up? So let's back up, maybe I don't know, maybe five years or so. I have a really good connection with um, a bunch of gamers in Connecticut. So again, I don't know if you would know any of these names, but you know people like um, Roland Fricky, um, John Manning, John Demeter. These are all guys that are pretty big fixtures at the HMGS cons, and I've known them forever. You know, when my dad and I back in the '90s were looking for a group, they were they're a bit of a hike from where we are, but they're great guys and. Um, they mean a lot to me because I've learned a lot about how to be an adult, frankly, from them. And again, these are another one of these great byproducts from gaming because, you know, when you're 20 years old, sitting with people who have a lot more experience than you and just, I'm the kind of person I just listen. I listen a lot. And um, where I'm going with this is a bunch of those guys would come and run games at Hackley and they'd love it. And John Spies at some point heard about it. Because I am the worst person in the world when it comes to showcasing things that I do. I said this a while back. I'm not the kind of person, I wasn't raised to be the kind of person to walk around thinking I'm important. I'm just not that kind of person. So it's always taken people seeing stuff that we do and then asking me questions about it, you know? So Spies comes to one of our gaming sessions, you know, and he loved it, you know? And he he gave us grants, um, you know, to pick up figures, which... You know, uh, I took a few of them at the very beginning, but eventually I was like, you know what, don't worry about this. Let's just have a relationship beyond that because, and this is where, you know, we're going to talk about what HMGS, you know, next gen is, but we really didn't need the funding. You know, um, we are very privileged here. We are very lucky here. You know, we have a very extensive gaming collection and John started asking me about, well, what if we could do this other places? And that's really where HMGS next gen stems from. So. I, re- I I a few times, you know, like, you know, went to, you know, in, in elections to get on the, the BOD at, at John's request, you know, like he kind of wanted me to get on, but I'm a relatively unknown person, I think, you know, in the organization in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, as time went on and fast forward to pretty much like last year, you know, John came to me with this idea, what if we formed a subsidiary organization under the HMGS sort of umbrella, whose specific goal is to not have necessarily a membership or anything, but rather um, do what we're doing at Hackley in other places. 
So that's that was the sort of genesis of the idea. And I can say that we're at the point where everything was approved and the nonprofit HMGS Next Gen has been created. So at this point, if schools or universities, libraries, if people are listening to this podcast or whenever the podcast airs, you know, we're at the point where we can sort of um, give funding to schools. But I think that is that's not necessarily to me the, the biggest advantage because here's the thing. You know, the idea of going into a school and somehow hoping there's a gamer there or hoping to convert somebody in the school to buy their own miniatures and paint them and get kids to paint them, that is a very lofty goal. So to me, what this organization um, can really do, we will do that. You know, we will provide the facilitators. We will provide the connection to an institution where if an institution says, wow, this looks really great. Like I saw these pictures on your website. It looks like our students or our, or our clientele would really benefit from this, but how would we do it? The idea is that we will do it for them with them. And look, as time goes on, if that place needed funding and they did really get into it and did want to, you know, get their own collections, um, we could also facil- facilitate that as well. So that's the ultimate the ultimate goal is to get schools and universities and libraries to, to, to get gaming. And then the idea would be, because I have a lot of professional connections in the in the industry of you know game-related thinking, the idea, you know, is we have all these different client um, groups that are sort of with us, and at the end of the year, bring everybody together for a gaming conference. So not just gaming, but for example, having a theme for the students, like we're going to focus on leadership and use a miniature game over the course of several days, along with speakers and other educators, and use that game to be able to answer the question of how do we be better leaders and get to that by the end of the conference. So that I think is the, is the overall goal. Uh, that sounds great. And, and you address one of the, the real questions that I had from the, the little bit that I knew about what NextGen was was aiming for is, you know, it's all well and good to say, hey, we'll send you money. But, you know, if you don't have a person at this school who is like a Jared Fishman or, or like a Steve Cerruti, for that matter, who's kind of familiar with gaming and familiar with the approach to take to try and get non-gamers involved or, you know, who doesn't have a history that allows them to see, okay, how can I integrate this into a curriculum? You know, throwing money at them alone isn't really going to help them set up a program. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you're talking about basically putting together some sort of package, which I assume, and, and talk about it a, a little if, if I'm correct, and, and if not, uh, you can tell me I'm wrong, that there's, there's something involved there that actually helps them get something up and running beyond just the money. Correct. Yes, that's that's been my take forever. And again, this is not a knock on HMGS per se, but I think that you know that has always been what HMGS has done. Like you know, we will give grants and things like that, and it's amazing. Look, John was one of the spearheads behind education. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But in my personal opinion, yes, you have to go the next step. So just as an example, you know, my vision for how this would work you know, let's say, you know, we have our website up and running and, you know, I get a call from Sleepy Hollow High School, who we have a connection with anyway. It says, look, you know, I saw what you guys, you know, did last month because the idea would be to post pictures of our games and post pictures of speakers and things like that, that sort of come in along with a social media presence, you know, have, you know, those people at Sleepy Hollow say, look, you know, we would love to do this. 
So the idea would be, you're not just getting money, you're getting a partnership. You're getting an organization to work with where the hope is that we have enough facilitators. And it's going to take a community because I won't be able to do every single one of these functions. But the idea would be, you as a school have a point person every month you talk to and every month that person comes in or every two months or whatever the number is comes in sets games up works with with the school and also just like almost like a consulting business would do or a consulting firm would do like what are you interested in so for example you know let's say you have in sleepy hollow um a very big hispanic Latino, Latino, Latinx, whatever word you want to use, um, whatever term you want to use. Let's say you have a really big community there. Well, maybe the idea would be for us to go in and yes, obviously skill build, but maybe we're going to set something in in, in South America. Let's say maybe we're going to put together a program where we're going to study the history of Mexico. We're going to study what happened when the French, um, you know, sort of intervened in their affairs in the 1860s. You know, what happened, you know? So the idea would be to tailor this these programs to whatever um the school needs or whatever the university needs or whatever the library needs um and yeah it it we're the idea is to go well beyond just the idea of giving funding over uh, that's that sounds fantastic and and the glorious thing no matter what the ethnic or cultural makeup you have of any school is you know gaming appeals to everybody and every every culture every ethnic group has a history uh, so you should be able to combine them both. Now, is is Sleepy Hollow High? Is that a public school? Yes, it is. Okay, because that was going to be one of my questions too. I mean, we've we've obviously talked about your experience at Hackley. We've talked about my daughter's experience at uh, her former school, both of which are private schools. And you know, my impression is it's a little easier to think out of the box when you're working in a private school setting as opposed to a public school setting. So, do you see that as being a potential challenge down the road? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, you're absolutely right. The fact is, is that I'm able to do what I'm doing here because of privilege, right? There's really not many other ways to say it. You know, like we have money, um, we have time, we have space. So when I'm thinking about HMGS Next Gen, I mean, my own vision is to be able to go to, a, let's say, a public school, you know, now granted, a lot of public schools in, in Westchester are very well off, you know, but look, I want to be able to take what we do here um, and, and provide that service for schools that might not be able to do it on their own. So in a lot of ways, I look at this organization as um, a facilitator. We want to make gaming possible. We want to create opportunity for anybody that wants to do this to be able to do it. And hopefully, um, you know, we have enough funding, you know, in, in the bank to be able to really do a lot. You know, so for example, you know, let's say the school doesn't have a lot of space. Well, maybe we can rent something out for the day. You know, maybe we can provide that service. The idea is to become, you know, a, a community fixture in a lot of ways. That that would be the ultimate goal. So again, like to to answer your question more directly, I would hope that our organization is be is going to be able to cater to anyone's needs, not just an institution, um, you know, you know that has um, a lot of money. So if if you're someone listening to this podcast and you are either want to assist. HMGS Next Gen in some way, or if you're an educator and want to find out more information and potentially contact you or, or someone else involved with Next Gen, 
where would they go? That's a great question. So we are just barely up and running at this point. You know, all of the funding is in the bank, um, you know, but we are very far off from having a website and things like that. So what I would say is this. So for people that are listening, um, and you know what, even before I, I explained, you know, the best way to contact me, let's think about who that's listening, what you could benefit from working with us. So whether if you're a university or if you're a um, secondary school or if you're a library, the idea would be the facilitation, the creation of, of game clubs at your institutions, right? You may also be a person that could help us, meaning we are going to need a team of people, depending on how big this gets, we are going to need a team of people to be contacts for our organization and to be facilitators. So for example, you know, we've already had contact with a group in Texas. You know, it would be great to have a gamer in Texas where we can, when we have a website, take your picture and put it on our website and say, look, you know, you're one of our facilitators. But there's also another group too. Um, and this is something that uh, another sort of pipe dream that I have for the organization. You know, what about businesses? You know, what about people out there that, for example, you know, you work for a pharmaceutical company and you're noticing that there's not a lot of teamwork happening at the moment. It's a lot of infighting. Maybe something happened in the office and, you know, companies are always looking for professional development opportunities, right? Well, maybe next gen is for you, meaning maybe we're going to go in. We know that you're having trouble with teamwork and we're going to create a wargaming scenario where instead of again instead of because adults are just like kids instead of you sitting there all day listening to some kind of speaker talk about what it means to be on a team how about instead you sit around a game table and we purposely create a scenario where you really have to work as a team if you're going to win and imagine that kind of debrief at the end of the day where you know now you have this pharmaceutical co pharmaceutical company that has now learned a lot about itself just by sitting down and playing a game. So I would say for business owners, we may also be uh, you know an organization that can help you too. And now, um, in terms of okay, you're interested. I would say the best way is to email me directly. So my email address is jfishman at hackleyschool.org. You could pretty much look my name up. Um, and, and, and even get the contact info that way. And that'll be the best way to kind of get the ball rolling until we're at the point where we have a website and we have contact information there. Okay. That, that sounds great. And I'll say that your idea for using this as a way of team building amongst businesses is probably a lot better than my suggestion, which would be rent out a paintball field and let them all shoot each other. There's such a connection there. You know, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, I, I, I go to a lot of gaming conferences, like more of like educational conferences. And again, it's not exactly completely in the scope of miniature gaming. Um, it's, it's, it's a little bit beyond the scope of our, maybe our conversation, but it's in the same ballpark of, again, like going into a place and using games to help a company manage itself better. I mean, Mike Canarino and I, who is an amazing educator here at Hackley, I mean, look, we went to, um, uh, this conference called the Nasaga conference, which is, it, it's an acronym for, um, the, uh, North American simulations and games, you know, association. And we went and we took the old story of, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the story, you know, the drawing a line in the sand story uh, 
from Roman times, you know, Papilius, the guy who went out into the desert and pretty much turned, uh, a, supposedly, if you believe it, you know, turned a Seleucid army back to Syria and kind of protected their allies in Egypt. Um, and we took that story and turned it into a role-playing game and we ran it for a bunch of professionals that were at this conference and we won, you know, the, the rising star award because all of these individuals, you know, think about like the political, you know, fright that we're in right now, getting people who had characters from all these different backgrounds that had to kind of come to a conclusion of hypothetically saying that Papilius, um, didn't have permission to go and do this kind of went off the rails and did it on his own. And it had to come back to Rome and be put on trial. So you had, you know, 30 people all arguing using a gaming system about this and them all telling me at the end, like we learned more about leadership playing this game for an hour than we have at our own businesses sitting in conferences about this stuff. So yeah, like I think there's a lot of room for this and um, a lot of ways that you can use miniature games to do exactly the same thing. And, and again, you said it best a little while ago. Um, who wouldn't want to do that? You know, you get your a day off from work because you're going to go to some hotel, eat great food, be around really smart people, and refight Gettysburg so that you could learn about stress management. I mean, again, like I think there's a lot of um, avenues when it comes to that. And I want Next Gen to be on that precipice as well. Uh, that sounds fantastic. Uh, and I can say that everyone here at Little Wars TV is very supportive of this endeavor. Uh, and next gen, we can't wait to see where it goes and how successful you are. And we certainly, you know, I, I want to have you back on once things are, are further into it. I want to make sure that we get the word out. So we will be helping helping you to do that. And certainly as the, the website is up and running and, and all of that stuff, we'll be sure to push that out. And uh, also put your email in, in the show notes and, and things like that so that people can find you. So I, I we're well over an hour now, which is, is usually what uh, we try and limit these two. So I think it's probably about time to, to wrap up. But Jared, thank you very, very much for joining us here today. And I, I hope that you have gotten our listeners out there excited about as excited about Wargaming in the Classroom and Next Gen as, as you've gotten me. I really appreciate it, Steve. And like I said, um, I have to say, I know we're, we're a little over time, but you guys very much were an inspiration to me because of of how professional your videos are you're you're taking uh this hobby in a great direction and i i i know there are more people out there like us so maybe between you guys and between what we're doing you know we're going to get a lot more gamers interested in the future which i think is really important you know i can remember being a child hearing gamers talk about how historical wargaming is dying out I mean, that is a conversation that I've, I've, I've heard my entire life. So on one hand, it hasn't died off, right? So, I mean, if that conversation has been happening for this long, you know, there's something, something to be said there. But look, you know, I think the average age of a GM at a HMGS show is something like 60. So getting more young people involved is going to help everybody. Absolutely. Could not agree more. So thanks again, Jarrett. And uh, for all of you listeners out there, thanks for listening. Uh, if you like what we're doing here at Little Wars FM and want to hear every single one of our episodes, please do consider becoming a patron uh, of Little Wars TV at patreon.com slash Little Wars TV. That gives you access to every single episode of Little Wars FM. And be sure to check us out on YouTube if you're not familiar with what we do and become a subscriber there. So we will see See you all 
next time. 